book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse, a very familiar passage this time of year. This is a, um, I started studying this. Um, obviously, we've done Christmas um, lessons in the past where we've um, talked about this passage, but I saw something to me that was very unique in this when I was studying it out, and I, and I certainly want to share it with you tonight, and I'm going to come from the topic of the mystery of the manger, the mystery of the manger. So Isaiah 9 and 6, are you all there? All right, it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Y'all could recite that on your own. So let's ask the Lord to bless our time here tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we just thank you for your sweet presence in here. God, we ask that you bless the word as it goes forth tonight. In Jesus' name, and the church says, amen. You may be seated. Everybody's got a worksheet? single greatest act of God began in a manger in Bethlehem. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, you don't have to go there, Sue, that the baby that was laid in a manger was the culmination of a plan that was in the mind of God from the beginning. Peter goes on to say that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, who was for, foreordained before the foundations of the world and was finally manifest in a manger in Bethlehem. And since God knew from the very beginning that there would be a hill called Golgotha and an old rugged cross, he gave us glimpses throughout his word regarding his plan for redemption. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the coming of the Messiah. These prophecies are detailed enough to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one spoken of is the Messiah. One of the best known prophecies about the birth of Jesus is our opening scripture, Isaiah 9 and 6. The prophet Isaiah, under the anointing of God, reveals the powerful attributes of Jesus and to fully grasp the significance of this verse, you have to understand the importance of a name. Now, Pastor touched on this last Sunday, so I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace as I develop this thought, but I think it's important. Um, in biblical times, names were very significant. Names were chosen because they meant something on your worksheet. They might signify a truth or express a person's destiny 
or capture one's personality or nature. As an example, God changed the name of Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, the father of many, when he promised to make him the father of many nations. Genesis 17 and 5 says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. After Jacob wrestled with God, his name was changed by God from Jacob's supplanter to Israel, right, Israel, which indicated he had found favor with God. Samuel means, on your worksheet, asked of God, signifying that he was the answer to Hannah's prayer. It says in 1 Samuel 1 and 20, Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Isaiah's name reflected the prevailing theme of his prophetic ministry, Jehovah Saves. Throughout the entire Old Testament, God revealed himself through names that reflected different aspects of his character. And I've listed them there on your worksheet. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is always present. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. But here's the thing about all these different names. They simply reveal the attributes of God. The mystery that all the Old Testament saints knew was that God had a name above every other name, that he had a name. They knew he had a name. All the patriarchs, all the prophets, the leaders, even the common Hebrew people, all longed to know the single great name of God. It was a name that wouldn't be revealed until an angel told Mary to call her child Jesus on your worksheet, which means God our salvation. This was the name, as Acts 4 and 12 tells us, that there is none other name under heaven given among men, but by we must be saved. This was the name that Philippians tells us in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All through time, men of God longed to know the name, the name of God. So when you read Isaiah 9 and 6, you can almost hear the excitement in Isaiah's voice, right? As he struggles to grasp this fact of the single name. He says, his name shall be called. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He didn't get a name. He got attributes. He got glimpses into the attributes of Jesus. Instead of telling us the name, he reveals on your worksheet the character of Jesus. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
A child was born, a son was given, and God became a man. This is the incarnation. In the person of Jesus, God stepped into the realm of humanity. And although it seems incredible, God, in all of his fullness, became a man. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This mystery on your worksheet is the heartbeat of the Bible. It's the central theme of all creation. It's a truth that every child of God must embrace. It's a mystery that angers the atheists. It's a mystery that confounds the Jews. It's a mystery that intimidates the devil. It perplexes the multitude. It puzzles the scholars, but it thrills the true believer. It is more than just a belief in one God. In the Old Testament, the Jews believed in one God. The Bible says that the devils believed in one God and trembled, right? James 2 and 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, New Testament faith takes it a step further. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 tells us that God stepped out of his royal domain, veiled himself in a garment of perfect flesh, and shone forth in all his glorious splendor in the face of Jesus Christ. The fact that a little baby could be almighty God was astonishing. It was incredible. And the religious leaders of that time found it impossible to comprehend, to believe, or to accept. And what's even crazier is that the Jews, to them, it was blasphemy. Their traditional concept of God could not accommodate or receive this truth, even though the Hebrew scriptures prophesied from it. Their Messiah was coming, yes, but it wasn't going to come in this manner. When Isaiah spoke of a child that was born and a son that was given, he was declaring that the full, complete expression of Almighty God was made known to the world in this baby lying in a manger. It was the greatest event in human history. God became a man. Second Corinthians 5 and 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The truth on your worksheet of the identity of, the identity of Jesus is foundational to our faith. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Amen? The wonder of this passage is that a child was born, a son was given, and God became a man. Jesus is not merely a part of God, but fully God. Not partly man, but fully man. Everything that God ever was, is, or shall be, every attribute that makes God who he is was fully expressed and exhibited in the man who walked the shores of Galilee, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who stilled the waters, who cast out demons and comforted the mourning. Isaiah prophesied it, and an angel echoed it. This child 
was to be Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us on your worksheets. So the incarnation is, without a doubt, one of the greatest wonders of the scripture. It defies human understanding to think that God became a man, that a little baby that Mary cradled in her arms was the ancient of days, the almighty God, the creator of all that ever was incomprehensible. It's mind-boggling that the one that holds the universe in orbit was cradled in the arms of a young teenage girl. But there's something even deeper that we can easily miss. It is the hinge that holds the Old Testament to the New Testament. It connects Genesis to Revelation. It is the icing on the cake. And the only way I can describe this is with an illustration. So we're at Christmas time right now. And I was reflecting back to a time when I was a kid, when we had Christmas on Christmas Eve. Now, those that are, are my age remember, I don't even know if they still do this, but in some of the Catholic churches, they had midnight mass. Remember that? And so, um, midnight mass. So Christmas, and that was on Christmas Eve, and um, we would kids, we, you know, we'd have dinner, and then we knew we were going to midnight mass, which was very cool, because we got to stay up super late. And so we would kind of play and mess around or whatever, and then mom would get us all ready for church, put on our best, and we were so excited. Because see, normally we would probably go to bed at 9 and wake up at 6 early the next morning. That's a long time to wait for presents, right? You go to midnight mass, you don't get home till 1 or 1.30, you go to sleep, you're only talking about four or five hours of waiting. So that was the bonus to midnight mass. So we would we'd get all dressed up, we'd go to midnight mass, and um, my sisters would fall asleep. And we'd get done, and we'd get home, and mom would send us upstairs, PJ's on, get in bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my sisters would go to bed, and my brother and I would lay in bed, but we would listen to what was going on downstairs. And we could hear the paper moving, the boxes moving around. We could hear some of the bulbs fall off the Christmas tree, you know. We knew what was going on. Now, it was very important for us to get a peek at what was down there before Christmas morning. But we had to wait for mom and dad to go to bed. And when they did, and we heard the door close, we became SEAL Team 6. <laughs> we had flashlights, and we snuck downstairs, and my brother would stand by this, you know, near the door of my parents in case something moved. We had, to, we had to be able to move quick. And we'd start going through the presents. Now, do we start looking at the little boxes? No, we're looking at the big, who are the big boxes that are wrapped up for, right? And so we would look and, uh, oh, this one's for my sister, Christina. Okay, nobody cares. 
This one's for Minika. Ugh, nobody cares, you know. This one, it's for me, but it's only this big. It's probably a matchbox. Nobody cares, you know. And I go through it. And so my brother finally came, and he was like, well, I want to help too. And so we're going through and looking, and lo and behold, behind the Christmas tree is this box that stands this tall, about this wide, about this deep, wrapped up with a bow and everything. And I'm like, who is that for? We went on a mission to find the tag. And we almost ripped it apart looking for the tag. We couldn't find the tag. We couldn't find it. We looked everywhere, all over. We had to be careful because we almost knocked over the Christmas tree. That would have been bad. But we never found the tag. The mystery of the gift was there, and we didn't have the answer until Christmas morning. So I tell you that illustration for this reason. In Isaiah 9 and 6, the prophet gives us more than a box wrapped up that first Christmas morning. He gives us a tag for who it is for. The mystery of the manger, the mystery of the recipient of the gift is given in the first two words of Isaiah 9 and 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's easy to look at the big picture and draw the conclusion that God became a man to overcome sin. It's easy to grasp the concept that God became a man in order to defeat the accuser of the brethren. But Isaiah said that a child was born and a son was given unto us. He didn't do it just to overcome sin. He didn't do it just to defeat the enemy. He did it for us. Your name is on the gift that was laid in a manger that Christmas morning. There's no mystery tag. There's no missing tag. The tag is right there. Isaiah tells us in chapter 53 that he came to bear our griefs, our griefs, and carry our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we, we are healed. Unto us a child is born. He came for our deliverance. He came for our healing. He came for our peace. He came for us. That baby born in a manger in Bethlehem was one of the greatest wonders of the Bible. It boggles the mind that God became a man. But the true revelation is contained in those first two words. It is not only the fact that God became a man, but that he did it all for us. He did it for you. 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 He did it for all of us. That's on your worksheet, by the way. 
He did it for you. In the person of Jesus, the invincible became vulnerable. The mighty God, this is amazing, the mighty God relinquished his throne and robed himself in weakness and in humility, and he did it all for you. They beat him. They mocked him. They cursed him and spit upon him, and he did it all for you. He carried a cross up a hill called Golgotha, and they nailed him to it. They thrust a crown of thorns on his head, and a spear pierced his side, and he did it all for you. As he hung on the cross, blood flowed. Sins were atoned for. My guilt and my shame was upon him, and he did it all for me. The mystery of the manger, the great treasure we have, is contained in those two seemingly insignificant words at the beginning of this great verse of Scripture, unto us a child is born. He was given unto us. Everything you need, you can find in Jesus. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him, and he was given to us. If all we know is Jesus, we know enough. If all we know is Jesus, we know enough. For when we have him, we have everything that God is. When you get that gift and you open it up and tear off the wrapper, you unwrap this precious truth, and you know what you get? He's our shelter in every storm. He's our refuge in times of trouble. He's our way maker when there doesn't seem to be a way. He's our peace speaker in times of trouble. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our strong tower. If we fall, he is our advocate. If we stumble, he is our friend that sticks closer than a brother. If we become weak and weary, he's the one that bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is all these things for us. He is your God. He's your God. He's your God. He's my God. He belongs to you. He belongs to me. He came for you. You don't have to struggle alone. Praise God. You don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to bear your burdens alone. You don't have to fight your battles alone. The good news is that unto us, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We are the church, my friends, and he came for us. The promises of the word of God are personal, and they are ours, and they belong to the church. We who have been washed in the blood of Jesus and baptized in his glorious name and filled with his spirit, those promises are ours. We can pray in Jesus' name and expect things to change. Come on now. We can turn to him in times of sorrow and find a comforter. We can run to him with our doubts and fears and find a counselor. 
We can turn to him in the midst of the raging storm and find the prince of peace. Unto us, the church, he was born. And unto us, the church, the promises on your worksheet were given. It is truly the gift that keeps on giving. That baby in Bethlehem, what we're about to celebrate in a few days, was for us. That's mind-boggling. That from the foundations of the very beginning, God saw you, knew the plan, and it was for you. And it's not just the birth. It's what that became. It's what he did, and now it's all the different gifts that we get from it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. I'll keep going. There you go. The mystery of the manger is simply that God robed himself in flesh and paid the price for sin so that we could spend eternity with him, and he did it all for us. So let me close with this. Isaiah was given a great revelation. He announced the coming of the Messiah. The world would not know his name until the angel announced it to Mary. There's a story told of a preacher who was speaking with a devout Jew. And the devout Jew denied that Jesus was the Messiah. And in the course of their conversation, the preacher asked him to read a verse from Isaiah. And he chose Isaiah 62 and 11. It says this, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. Notice that salvation in this verse is personified as a him. His reward is with him, whose work is before him. The Jewish scholar was then asked to translate the English word salvation. They asked him to translate it in Hebrew. And he responded by saying, Yeshua. Then the preacher asked him to translate Yeshua into Greek, the language of the New Testament. Realizing where the preacher was going with this passage, the Jewish scholar was forced to acknowledge that the Hebrew word Yeshua is translated as Jesus in the Greek. And in that moment, the Jewish scholar stumbled onto the great truth that Isaiah declared without even knowing it. The name of the one who would come, the name of the salvation whose reward is with him and whose work is before him is Jesus. And he came 
unto us. The name of the child that was born unto us, the name that the son was given unto us was Jesus. The name of the one that Emmanuel, God with us, was Jesus. And all power in heaven and earth had been given to that name, Jesus. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. My prayer for every one of you this holiday season is to remember that package that is so awe-inspiring, so amazing, a miracle, the hinge of which the Bible sits. That big, beautiful gift, there's a tag on it, and it has your name on it. Unto us. Unto us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this word, God. God, I ask that it would, God, sink deep within us, God, as we go into this season of your precious birth. God, as we run into people, as we have conversations, as God, sometimes through the hustle and bustle, our, our emotions can get out of whack. God, help us to remember the present that lays in that manger that has our name on it. For God, it was for us that you did it all. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done. I pray a blessing over each person here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.